simply indicates that we are to keep it in commemoration of the temple, the church of God being scattered and destroyed, sacked, if you will, here in the end time, and looking forward to the time God begins to put it back together. So these are not just things that the ancient Jews did, but this is something written in God's Word for His people at the end time. So we've been following these fasts, as God indicates there in Zechariah, that we are to do. So bear in mind as we fast this coming Wednesday that it has to do very much with the condition of the church today uh, in its deplorable, destroyed condition and that God has a remedy coming soon. And pray uh, in hope that that will be very soon. I might mention again that uh, Linda Davis is having uh, heart difficulties. She's had them before, uh, but her heart rate or her heart efficiency apparently is at 32%, which is... uh, not real good. Uh, that's the reason she got not feeling well and, and sick again is because it's just simply not getting enough blood to her system. <coughs> so let's keep Linda in mind. Uh, I'm sure she's on the phone today. She tunes in every week or almost every week unless she's in a place where she can't get to it. Uh, but keep her in our prayers. I might make a brief comment that uh, the lawsuit that has been taken against us, oh, nearly two years ago now, uh, had a bit of a break in that uh, the other side presented a settlement uh, possibility. And uh, it's a move in the right direction, I think. They gave up some of the demands that their lawsuit required and... uh, volunteered to take on part of the financial uh, situation that we have with mortgage and all. (coughs) So, uh, I sent a list of terms that I think we could be willing to live with to our attorneys, and they are currently drafting a counter-proposal to those people. So, uh, we'll see where that goes. But you might be praying about it that uh, the terms I'm asking, I believe, are quite reasonable. Uh, And yet there are some attitudes. (laughs) So uh, we never know where things will go. So let's pray for God's grace and favor for everybody involved and go from there. So I don't want to get into too much of that here on the Sabbath, but... Just to let you know the news, and I I believe God is working, and if our prayers go up beseechingly to Him, uh, perhaps we can find an end to at least this one trial. There always will be more and others, but uh, this one has been on the table and been a pain for a long time for them and for us both, I'm sure. Let's go back then to the book of Ecclesiastes. We were in chapter 7 when I stopped in 20, at verse 24 last week, <clears throat> not taking the time to go on through the rest of the chapter. 
But uh, it's kind of a, a turning point in what he's saying here in verse 24. He says, That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? So he's been discussing up to this point a great deal of the perplexity of being a human being on this earth and the attendant difficulties and trials and troubles and, and lack of purpose and understanding of even why we're here. And the questions he asked then are the same things that people wrestle with today all over the world. Just why are we here? What's the purpose? We die and then what? Uh, so these questions, without answer, essentially through man's history, <clears throat> are not new questions at all. Who can understand the deep things? Now, we have a world that cannot understand God's ways, even though they are quite simple. We have in the Scripture a statement that says, or mentions the simplicity in Christ. And when you understand God's plan and purpose and His ways, it is a pretty simple uh, plan. Uh, very straightforward, not in that sense complicated at all. But without God's Spirit, you can't understand it. And you can't understand any of the ramifications of it and what He expects of you. So we have a world that is contrary to God, mostly Satan worshippers in one form or another around the world. And then you have so-called Christians who think they have the Spirit of God, but do not understand the Spirit of God, do not have the Spirit of God, and yet they call themselves Christians. I can show you very easily that they do not have the Spirit of God because he says he calls and gives his Spirit to them that obey, Acts 5.29, I think it is. And most of Christendom today does not believe they have to obey. His laws, they say, are done away with, aren't in effect. And therefore, we can only conclude that they do not have the Spirit of God because He does not give it unless they recognize and obey His laws. It's just that simple. But no man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. And you would not understand what you do if God had not opened your mind to these very simple things that simply cannot be understood without that Spirit opening the mind. Simple as they are. Understandable as they are. You didn't understand a thing till somehow, some way, you came in contact with a work that was uh, teaching the things of God and God opened your mind and your spirit to understand. Otherwise, you still wouldn't. I don't, I don't care how much you study the Bible. It doesn't make any difference. There are people that have absolutely memorized it, word for word. People who have written great volumes of commentaries about it and studied it all their lives. 50, 60, 70, 80 years they studied the Bible and still don't understand a thing about it. Uh, so that shows you the power of the Spirit of God that can open up the very simple things for a human mind to understand. So, here's, here's a pivotal thing. How do you come to know and understand the deep things? Verse 25, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. Now, he did know the true God through his father David. And 
he had asked God for wisdom and understanding since he was going to be king. And God told him that because he hadn't asked for riches and physical material things, but instead had asked for something more important than what God would give him the greatest wisdom that any man had ever enjoyed. So he had that, but he had an inquiring mind to know what works, why it works, uh, how things are supposed to work, and what should a human being do. <coughs> so he wanted to know the reason for things, and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. So he wanted to understand why one way was right and another way wrong. What brought pleasantness, peace, happiness, and what brought turmoil and trouble. Uh, people have trouble figuring that out these days. Verse 26, uh, I don't know what interrupted him, interrupted him again here, but he said, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands. Whoso pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. So, he said, I'd rather die than deal with a woman who is controlling, who is uh, wanting to run everything, who is wanting to interfere, who wants to nag, who wants to make me do everything she wants to do and run my life. He said, I'd rather die than be around a woman like that. But people get taken in by it. Now, they have their ways and their wiles uh, that can turn a man's head. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Behold, this have I found, says the preacher, counting one by one to find the account. So he was contemplating uh, perhaps a woman or women here who had given him trouble. So he thought about it and he says, which yet my soul seeks, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. So, in searching for a true, a right, a good, solid person, uh, he said he hadn't found but one man, and he had not found one woman out of a thousand. Well, that's a... That's a pretty perplexing statistic. But I think what it indicates is probably he hadn't found another man other than himself that he trusted. He's the only one out of a thousand. I, I don't know that that's what he means. Maybe he had someone who was a friend that he truly trusted and, and believed in, but I doubt it. <coughs> so he's essentially saying that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God and all women and that there's none that is truly righteous. We have other scriptures that show that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now, he was seeing that essentially on a physical level uh, in dealing with people, but it's true even more so on a spiritual and an eternal level. So he says, This only have I found, that God has made man upright... But they have sought out many ways to do evil. 
invented many evil paths and ways. And I think that that is a true statement if you go back to Genesis. He created Adam and Eve to be upright, to serve him and love him, and to do what he said. But it didn't take much to move them from the uprightness that God had given to the point of sinning and rebelling against him through the influence of, of course, Satan the devil. But that human nature was there. It just had not been tapped yet. It had not been opened. Because it says that when they did something God told them not to do, suddenly their eyes were open and they understood not just good, but good and evil. <coughs> and suddenly there was shame, there was fear, there was all kinds of emotions that they had not experienced at that point. So, we've sought out many, many evil ways from Adam and Eve down to today. Chapter 8, Who is as the wise man? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. So, where do you find a wise man? Who understands and can properly interpret things? And if you have true knowledge, good knowledge, and you're living by it, it's going to give you a different countenance because you are living with hope and love and faith and looking forward in your view of life. You're not depressed. You're not down in the dumps. You're not thinking of evil. You're not thinking of, of uh, sins of the past, as we covered, I think, last week. You are looking forward, hopefully. And that gives you a pleasant demeanor. Your face to shine, if you will. Uh, in a way that someone who is negative in their thinking does not have. Well, you see people on the street or in a store all the time. And some of them are happy and smiling. And some of them are dour and, and uh, depressed looking and... You can see that they're carrying the whole world on their shoulders. Just by a quick look is all it takes. So, what is going on in our heart and mind is reflected in the face. Our whole demeanor, our whole approach. So we need to be positive and looking forward and not thinking negative and not thinking of things of the past or imagining evil in people. Why should we dwell on evil? But a lot of people do. They're always looking for the evil in someone. <clears throat> no matter what. I think that's probably most people on earth. They see somebody and they begin to think, well, you know, what, what, what's evil about this person? Maybe their background and experience has, has made them cynical, but uh, one of the first places their minds go is, what's wrong with this person? Got to be something. I'll find it. <laughs> you know, why spend your life and your time and your energy and emotions on that kind of endeavor? No. Go for the things that are pure and right and good and hopeful. And find the good in people. You know, that might be more of a challenge anyway. It's not too much challenge to find evil in people or to imagine it. 
But maybe it's even harder to find good in people. Maybe you should change your goals and purposes and start looking for good and finding it. It might be more elusive and more of a challenge. You might enjoy it, actually. And you'd probably have a whole lot better attitude. Verse 2, I counsel you to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Now, why would God counsel David and Solomon and all the patriarchs of the past to follow the king's commandments? Now, whether you're talking of a physical king here or the king of all, is really, in that sense, neither here nor there, if their rules are supposed to keep them. So why would God make rules of conduct for mankind and then suddenly when Christ appears, throw the whole handbook away and say, everything I've ever said up till now is null and void and now all you have to do is say, I love Jesus and you'll live eternally. It's just crazy. Be not hasty to go out of the king's sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he does whatsoever pleases him. It doesn't do any good to have a bad attitude toward those in control. Whoever has been placed there, uh, God has placed them there, or allowed them to be there, or certainly passed on it. Now, let me give you an example there in Daniel, where it says God, I think it's chapter 4, uh, puts the basest of men in the positions of authority. God does that. We have had some pretty evil people in charge of our own United States government over the decades and centuries. God put them there for His reasons. So, God sometimes puts people in positions of authority for good and not for evil. And we see that in the New Testament Scriptures, how He appointed apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and so on uh, to help the people to overcome, to grow, to be part of the eternal family of God. So, He places people in those positions. Are they all perfect? Let's rephrase that. Are any of them perfect? No, Christ was the only one. But God put them there. So whether you look at the governments of men and the evil men that God puts there, or even His church and the many places there, uh, what right do we have to criticize, to put down, to think negative of, and in some cases try to get rid of them? Now, if God put them there, they're His responsibility. I remember people who dedicated their whole lives to getting rid of Herbert W. Armstrong. God put him there. He had a reason for him there. Whatever his faults may or may not have been. It wasn't their job to get rid of him. That was God's job. And he finally did at age 93. (laughs) You know, I'm being a little sarcastic. I think there's a good chance he was murdered even at 93, but God allowed that for his own purposes. Read Isaiah 1. There were liars and thieves and then murderers. That's an end-time prophecy. 
So, don't stand for an evil cause or something that is contrary to God's law or His way whereby you become a liar or a thief or anything else. Because whether it be a physical king or God, they will do what pleases them. And you're not going to change that. So you need to be, you need to be able to stand in the sight of the king. Not sneak around because you know good and well if he found out what you're thinking or doing, he would be very, very upset with you. And you might lose your head. So, in other words, he's saying, be, be able to stand and not be ashamed or afraid. And don't stand for anything evil uh, because you might be in trouble. Where are you going to hide when Christ returns? You better be able to stand. There's a challenge there in Malachi 4. Who can stand when he appears? For he is a refiner's fire. Where the word of a ruler is, there is power. And who may say to him, what do you think you're doing? But people do. And sometimes they get themselves in trouble with God and man. Verse 5, Whoso keeps the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Now, does that mean if you keep God's commandments, you'll never have a problem? No, he says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous in Psalm 34, 19, but they will be delivered out of them. I think it's 2 Timothy 3.12, through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. So he says we will have trials and troubles in seeking to serve God. But what Solomon is saying here uh, is a general overall statement. If you do God's ways, uh, you're not going to be found in the midst of evil. And a lot of evil things simply won't happen to you because... In obeying Him, you're staying away from a lot of evil things in the first place. You're not putting yourself in a position where a lot of evil things happen. So He's not saying you'll never have trials and troubles, because the Bible is replete with examples of that. But things are going to tend to be better for you than for an evil person. And a wise man's heart perceives or discerns what is ahead, what's coming uh, in time, and in the right kind of judgment. Because he thinks. He realizes what this and this and this is happening, and therefore, I better watch out. It's like, uh, let's say you're out on a battlefield, and there's no one in sight, and you feel okay. But then you see a tank come over the ridge, and you see an airplane flying over, and you see a bunch of troops marching in, and you begin to perceive pretty soon that uh, things are going to get kind of violent around here. Now, you look ahead. You you examine what is happening, what's occurring, and then you're able to step away from evil. Because to every purpose, there is time and judgment. So you see people going a certain way. uh, You know that in a matter of time, there's going to be a judgment come on that. 
It's like watching people aborting babies now by the millions. And you know that God who created human beings and made life and the marvelous system whereby babies come into the world is not going to be very happy with someone who is killing babies and maybe even selling their parts as a big organization in this country apparently is doing. So time and judgment will come on any kind of nefarious activity. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. We bring this stuff on ourselves, don't we? When God comes to judge, uh, and he is going to be judging this country uh, very shortly now. Well, he's already judged it. He said, don't even pray for it because we're not going to repent in this country. But that judgment is going to fall very shortly now. And all the garbage and the uh, disobedience in every facet of life that we have caused to happen in this nation and in our lives is going to be judged. And the misery of man is going to be great upon him. For he knows not that which shall be. How many people in our nation today, what percentage of people would you say have a pretty good idea of what's about to happen to this country? <coughs> I would say it'd be in the low teens or somewhere along there. Most people are still saying, God bless America, and God's going to bless us, and we're such a righteous and wonderful nation, such a wonderful people that God couldn't help but bless us and uh, no harm's ever going to come to this people and they go on about their jobs and their TV and their fun things that they do and they have, they have no idea about the true economic condition of our nation or what our enemies think of us and how they're preparing as we sit today they're preparing war against us to destroy us they're having meetings all over the world in preparation to destroy this country. And it isn't far off. But how many people know that? They're just blissfully going through life, facing whatever little troubles they have, and have no concept of anything larger going on. But judgment is coming. He doesn't know that which shall be for who can tell him when it shall be? What or when? You can't tell them. Hey, the stock market's setting records. Everything's okay. And they don't realize that they're printing money as fast as they can print it to keep the stock market up so things will look okay. It isn't you and me and others that are keeping that thing propped up. It's the billions and billions of dollars that the central bankers are pouring into it to make everything look hunky-dory until it is destroyed. And our own politicians are doing it to us. But how many people read Jeremiah 50 and 51 and know that that's speaking of America today and that we're being sold out by our own politicians? How many understand that? What percentage of the population has even read Jeremiah? Much less understood it. Verse 8, There is no man that has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Neither has he power in the day of death. You're just helpless. You can't do a thing about it. 
You may even realize you're dying and you can't do a thing about it. I just watched my wife die and I wanted to do anything I could for her. I wanted to help her in any way I could. But there was nothing I could do. Nothing. And I watched her take her last breath. And it hurt terribly, but I felt so hopeless and so helpless. And yet all I could do was say, God, it's your answer. You are the sovereign of the entire universe. And no matter how we look at things, He has a plan and a purpose. And He knows exactly what He is doing. He has power over the Spirit. He can cause it to go back to Him when we die. doesn't know anything, but the spirit in man that's different from the animals goes back to God and is held there in safekeeping until the resurrection. And God knows that. But we have no power. Who do we think we are? We can be vain. We can be self-important and think we know so much. But when it comes time to die, the richest man on earth can't do a thing about it. It's just going to happen. He can't retain the Spirit. No power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. You don't fight a battle and then get uh, mustered out and go back to living. When you're in a war for death, you lose. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So, you might be wicked and you may have made lots of money and you may be able to hire uh, medical professionals and this and that and the other thing. Ain't going to work. You better find something besides this human existence. All this have I seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man rules over another to his own hurt. Sometimes being in a position of leadership uh, can hurt you, uh, who is the one in charge, because people will resent, they'll be jealous, they'll want the job. There's many number of things that they take exception to or don't like the way you do things. And uh, being in a position of authority isn't always a fun and good thing. In fact, it can be quite painful, as those who have been in those positions have realized. A lot of people who want a position or a job or an ordination or a, a high position in a company have no clue what goes with that. <laughs> they, they want the power, they want the prestige, they want a lot of things, but I'll guarantee you, when it gets down to the brass tacks, there are a lot of things they don't like about it. I remember when I was a building contractor, <coughs> and uh, employees would get jealous of me, thinking, boy, he's, he's the one making all the money, and we're doing all the work. But he makes the money. So, they would be jealous, and they'd be fretful, and they might even say things that I probably wouldn't have wanted to hear about me. But you know what? They worked from 8 to 5 or 6 or 7 or whatever it was and got paid for it and went home to watch TV and drink beer. And I was sitting up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning doing bids and trying to get jobs landed so that they would have work. Uh, maybe I did make more than them. Sometimes I didn't make money. 
Sometimes I did, but they always got their check. So, yeah, they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to get into all that money, but they didn't under have, they didn't have a clue what being in charge was all about. But they thought they did. All you have to do is drive around in a pickup and look like you're smart and make all the money while we have to work. They had no idea what management is all about. And that's one of the reasons in the labor management problems that have existed throughout eternity and still do in every job and every business there is and all the politics that go with it uh, those issues are there because until you've been there you do not understand you have no idea what it's all about so sometimes being in a position of authority is not much fun so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city uh, where they had had so done. This is vanity. People live, they do their thing, then they die, it's all over. So what's the point? Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of man is fully set in them to do evil. If you don't think you're going to get in trouble, or you're not going to be punished right away, or severely punished, well, pretty soon people just get to the point, hey, I'll get away with this. They won't do anything about it. <coughs> How did God issue justice in the Old Testament? If you were taken in adultery or fornication or thievery or whatever... If it were a life sentence type of thing, you're immediately stoned. They didn't let you sit on death row for ten years. They took you out and had the congregation stone you on the spot. And then everybody who was throwing rocks got the idea that if I do what that person did, I might get stoned to death too. Not I might, I will. Unless they could escape quickly to a city of refuge and there be time for a trial and to see if they really had done it or not. People are always talking about how the death penalty does no good in this country. Well, it would if everybody that raped or killed or any of those things were immediately strung up in the town square. There would be no repeat offenses, number one. And number two, a lot of people would hear and fear knowing that that would, be, that would happen to them automatically, like sun up and sundown. Then, the heart would not be fully set to do evil. Do a drug bust? Hang them. You know, it's real simple. You thin them out, number one, and you make others afraid to do it. Going to have a worldwide war on terrorism. And then we're going to import terrorists into all of Europe and America to continue it. There's a better way to handle terrorists, be they domestic or foreign, be they uh, traitors to our country or whatever. <clears throat> Verse 12 Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, 
Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. So he's beginning to sort out the answers to the, the issues here. You might be very careful and devious, and you might get away with something a hundred times, but in the long run it's going to catch up with you. We think, we think we're getting away with something, but we're not really, because God sees everything and ponders everything. Better to fear God and keep His commandments. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I I said that this also is vanity. Some people seem to get away with it. And those who live right sometimes seem to have more trouble than those who are doing wrong. That's just the way of life. That's the, the system that is down here. As, as he said in another place in this book, time and chance happens to them all. So, some get away with it for a long time. Others do right and still seem to have trouble. <clears throat> but God will sort it all out in the long run. Then I commended mirth, or laughter. Because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, to be happy. For that shall abide with him of his labors the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. We don't need to make it too complicated. Be responsible, do our jobs, uh, enjoy the food and drink that God has put here for us to have, and be thankful be of a a good heart, a merry heart, Uh, thinking of good and not evil, think of hope for the future, not despair over the past, does no good to cry over spilt milk, Uh, you know, it just doesn't do any good. So enjoy the life that you've been put here to enjoy, but do it lawfully. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night sees sleep with his eyes. That would be God. So, if we want to find wisdom and understanding in all the business that goes on down here, always keep God in mind because he doesn't sleep day or night. He knows everything that's going on. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And somehow, I guess they think God can't see in the dark, but He can't. I mean, there are even animals that can see in the dark. God certainly can. Then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. You can't understand everything that God has created. It's too wonderful, too deep, too, too, too beyond human comprehension to realize how He has put this earth together with the lands and the seas and the skies and the animals that all work together in symbiotic relationships. Uh, it's beyond our comprehension to understand how it could have been devised, actually created, and then make it all work together. God is so much greater than us. 
Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yes, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. All our scientists on this earth have probed and studied and photographed and looked and examined everything that they can find to examine, and they still don't have a clue as to how it came to be, uh, why it works the way it works. And the best theory they've come up with is that there was a sea and some slimy little thing came out and developed into humans. That's the best they've been able to come up with. Well, where'd the sea come from? Where'd the slime come from? They, they just can't, they can't sort it out. And we have our greatest scientists studying various things. <clears throat> and they come up with some brilliant ideas. Like, let's use radioactive uranium and things of that nature and make ourselves some power plants because that will be a wonderful scientific development and how smart they are that they could dig this stuff out of the ground and use it to generate power. But then what happens when something goes wrong and you poison the whole Pacific Ocean because of one nuclear power plant? Destroying how much life? Yeah, we can't figure it out. I'll guarantee you that. So it doesn't matter whether you're sitting under a tree trying to figure out why an acorn dropped on your head or whether you're a scientist, a nuclear physicist, or a, trying to figure out how to send rockets to Mars. You're not going to figure it out. <clears throat> it's all too great for us. We think we're so smart. And we're destroying and polluting the very earth that God put us on and in the process of destroying ourselves from off the face of the earth. And God even said that if He didn't cut it short, there would not be one man left alive. We would destroy ourselves. That's how smart we are. Then get into chapter 9. For all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this. I thought about it, and he says, I've, I've gone over all these things. I think I want to write it down. I'll declare it to others. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knows either love or hatred by all that is before them. So he says, after I've considered everything there is to consider, and he had experimented with everything he could find to experiment with and done everything he could think to do, both good and evil. He thought it all over and he says, it's all in the hands of God. He recognized a higher authority and the man simply does not have the answers on his own. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrifices and to him that sacrifices not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that swears is he that fears an evil. He keeps coming back to this same thing. We're all going to die. And when you're dead, you rot, 
and you get forgotten. And if that's all there is, what's the point? We better look somewhere for something that goes beyond. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event to all. <clears throat> also the heart of the sons of men is evil, or is full of evil, and madness is in their heart. While they live, and after that they go to the dead. So you can live and you can be full of evil and nastiness, and then you're going to die. Is that all there is? <clears throat> then he says, For him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. While you're still alive, there's hope. We here are still alive today. There is hope for us in the resurrection of the dead and in the kingdom of God. There is no hope in anything else. Now, you may hope for a raise on your Social Security, and uh, that may or may not come, and it won't be much if it does. And you can also know that your Social Security check is not going to be coming much longer, because they don't have the money to do it much longer. So you might better be thinking of something more important than the TV or the computer or the paycheck or the trip to Costco or whatever you enjoy on this earth. Now, some things we have to do in order to sustain life, no doubt about it. But our heart and our goal and our mind had better be on something more important than the things that are going on down here on this earth. <clears throat> it's all going away and we're going to die. And the older you get, the more you begin to realize that. You don't feel near as immortal at 70 or 80 as you did at 20. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. They're not living anymore. They don't know anything. They're dead. Christianity, so-called, would have you believe they're in heaven with the Lord, or that they're being poked with a spear down in hell. They don't read the Bible. They don't know that when you die... You are inert. You know nothing. You can't think. You, you're not floating around somewhere. You're not reincarnated as another human or anything else. You're dead. You know nothing until the resurrection. <clears throat> God has record of you, and He will resurrect you to some fate. But here is a very, very pivotal scripture in proving to anyone that... You don't go to heaven when you die. Or to hell. Well, you go to hell, because hell only means underground, the earth. So you go into the grave. That's hell. But it isn't the molten center of the earth where you're being tortured forevermore. So, not only do they die and don't know anything, don't think anything, also their love and their hatred, their envy, is gone. All the good they were, and all the bad they were. It's all gone. Wiped out. Doesn't exist anymore. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. <clears throat> kind of futile, isn't it? To live on this earth, to 
know your grandparents and your parents and then to have children and grandchildren and then you cork off and you don't remember your kids, you don't remember your grandchildren, um, you're, you're dead. You know nothing. And then you're very quickly forgotten because they get on with their lives and do their thing and uh, it won't be long until you're not remembered at all. So it's just gone. Unless there's a resurrection, unless there's a future, it was all a futility. So he says, Go your way, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God now accepts your works. If we do as we should, God will accept our works, and He will ultimately reward us for them. We don't need to live in total anxiety all the time. We need to be working toward being what we ought to be and enjoy the things that God has given us here on this earth, but enjoy them lawfully, not with lust and covetousness of things that are out of our reach or that other people have or whatever, but be thankful for what you do have and enjoy it. And know that if you live correctly, God will accept your works and He will reward you for them. So let your garments be always white. And I think it's clear to see that is a spiritual thing. Uh, we keep clean. We don't get dirty. We're, we're supposed to live a clean life. And let your head lack no ointment. So wear clean clothes and anoint your head with oil. Uh, take care of yourself, in other words. Don't uh, get depressed and go live under a bridge and not take a bath or comb your hair. But uh, live uprightly, so both physically and spiritually be white and do what you're supposed to do. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of the life of your vanity, which he has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity, for that is your portion in this life and in your labor which you take under the sun. So our marriages are to be something that are joyful, they are made of God. He is the one who instituted life, uh, marriage. It is not a thing that man started or a, man, a thing that man can change. Uh, a man cannot marry a man or a woman a woman or a transgender anything because God made marriage. <clears throat> and we are to picture the kingdom of God and the marriage of Christ to His bride in our marriage. That's what we're to do. So, to enjoy the food and drink that God put on the earth and enjoy our mate is what He put us here to do. And then there comes a time, and most of us have, in this room at least, have gotten that, to that point where we've lost a mate. And that is a very difficult thing because you grow very close, or at least you're supposed to, over time and experience together. And then when one of you is gone, you can't reminisce. You can't go over memories together. You can't talk about the things you've done that you enjoyed together. One is dead and knows nothing. The other is alive and has memories, but nothing to do with them. So, 
that too will be taken care of in the resurrection. But enjoy what time you do have together because it will sooner or later end. In verse 10, Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you're headed. So, uh, work hard, play hard, go after things with vigor because they'll sooner or later be over and you can't do them anymore. And we find even, you know, human beings will work all their life to try to get ahead a little bit and maybe... They're looking forward to retirement so they can do some of the fun things that they always wanted to do but never had time to do because of work and so on. And then about the time it's time to retire, their arms and their knees and their head and their spleen don't work anymore. And You know, all those things you look forward to do, you can't do. And a lot of them you can't do because you're so crippled up with old age you couldn't do them. And then you die and you can't do them at all. So, whatever you do, do it with your might. And that's what God tells us spiritually, and that's why the church has been blown apart. is because we were drifting along, just sort of laying us in, lukewarm, not pursuing God with all our might. So, it's true in life, in just the physical things, that if you're going to do something, do it as well as you can. Do it with your might. And if you're going to pursue eternal life, do it with your might. Not just float along thinking, well, everything will work out. He tells us to overcome. And that's hard work. You have to work at it. You can't just sort of drift along and expect to overcome anything. It doesn't happen. Got to work at it. Got to do it with your might. I returned and saw unto the Son that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happens to them all. Sometimes you just get born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And then you get born without a diaper. Nothing. So you, you never can tell what's going to happen. For man also knows not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. You just never know. How did Paul put it? We are to obey God and serve Him because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We have no idea what tomorrow will be, whether we'll even be alive and walking on the earth. Fish swim along, some of them hit the net, and some miss the net. Time and chance. There were some people that took off the other day up in northern Utah to go on a vacation, two couples in an airplane. And they had plans and dreams of having a nice, wonderful vacation, spending time together, and, and something went haywire, and they crashed on the highway and killed all four of them. That's not what they expected to happen. (laughs) In a few moments of terror and they were gone. So you never know. Better serve God with all your heart and with all your might. And if your life is cut off at any time, then you're in the right place doing the right thing. 
This wisdom have I seen also unto the Son, and it seemed great to me. Here's, here's something else he said. There was a little city, <coughs> and only a few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. So this little city had no chance, really. Few men. Here's a big army. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. Now, he wasn't a rich man, but he had some sense about him, and he had a brain, and he could think. Now, why wasn't he a rich man? Well, with a good mind like that, you'd think he'd figure out how to get rich, but <coughs> not necessarily so. Maybe he didn't want to be rich. Maybe he was smart enough to know that not everything that happens to rich men is good. But anyway, he was a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. He was a poor man. He wasn't well known. He wasn't famous. He wasn't looked upon as a leader. And yet he figured out a way to save that city from a power much greater than it was. But what good did it do? Nobody remembered it. They forgot. Maybe they accredited the victory to themselves because they were so valiant and strong or whatever and forgot all about what he had said. So then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. <clears throat> People are so full of vanity that... Have you ever been in a position where you suggested somebody, something to somebody and they turned hands down on it? And a day or a week later, uh, they came up with that idea themselves? I've seen that happen many, many times. As long as their idea was a good one. If it's your idea, forget it. <clears throat> the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that rules among fools. There are people who will listen to someone who has some wisdom uh, and it will accomplish more than someone yelling when he has only fools to yell at. <laughs> Yelling at fools doesn't help. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Well, that, he just showed that in that example. Poor, poor wise man figured out a way to defeat those who had weapons of war and had set up bulwarks around the city to destroy it. So wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You can be doing things well, you can have things going right, and then you can have somebody come in who makes certain mistakes or sins, and it can tear down everything that has been made that is good. It doesn't take long. And he goes on to talk about that, but we're about time here that we should conclude this, so let's stop right there at the beginning of chapter 10. <clears throat>